been in a series on the Beatitudes, but before we jump into that, I wanted to take just a minute. I, I was on Twitter last night scrolling, not doom scrolling, as can be warranted this, in this time of life, but just scrolling, and I ran across this church sign, and I immediately knew I had to show it to you. It was that good. Now, usually when you see a church sign, I don't know what you think of. What I think of is something that's really, really terribly corny with maybe even worse theology attached to it, right? That's typically what happens on church signs. This was not that. This was just a community of people saying, here's who we are, and here's what we hope to bring to the world. So I'm going to show you their church sign. Holy Comforter, join us 10.30 a.m. Sundays. We have Cheetos. We have Cheetos. I, I just like to imagine th there were people who got together in a room. Like, yeah, we, attendance is down. We've got to figure out what to do. Everybody, let's just throw ideas at the wall and see what sticks. Okay, what do you got? H how about a fog machine? Everybody loves a fog machine. It's like we're outside in the mist and we're actually inside singing. It's like being at a Def Leppard concert. Like, let's do the fog machine. Okay, fog machine's on the table. Who can beat fog machine? We give everybody Cheetos. Like, that's the plan. We just give everybody Cheetos. I just, it's breathtaking. I don't even know. I, I, no. But it also, I share it with you just to say that this brought an awareness of how badly we failed you as leadership because we've never given you Cheetos. And so today we're going to remedy that. We're going to bring out a bag of Cheetos for, I'm kidding, there are no Cheetos. Um, there are no, I'm sorry, there are no Cheetos. But I uh, just, I just can't get over it. I love it. I love it. If we had a sign, I would almost put like we have Doritos just to counter the <laughs> Cheeto effect. Um, so we've been in a series where we've been looking at the Beatitudes and we're going to wrap that series up today. We've explored so far all of these pronouncements, announcements Jesus makes toward people who often, most often, are left out of anything that we would consider to be blessed. And my hope is in this series that it has given you a different lens to see the Beatitudes through. Uh, I hope it's ruined the word blessed for you forever. I hope you can never hear it or see it the same way. Because what we've been talking about blessed is to say someone is blessed is to say God is with them, God is for them, God is on their side. And so Jesus has been announcing God's withness to people that most of the culture might assume are actually the opposite of that. God is not with them. But actually Jesus says God is with them. And today... After Jesus completes the Beatitudes, he goes into this next section. Um, and I want to wrap this series up by looking at his words here in Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your father, mother, who is in heaven. Anybody, when I was reading that, just wanted to start going, hide it under a bushel, no, and yelling as loud as possible. Um, yeah, yeah, Jesus is doing something interesting here. And um, so I want to do what we've done with the Beatitudes. Each week we've taken a Beatitude and we've just asked questions about it to try to get at maybe what's going on here. So I want to ask three questions about this text. I want to ask, to whom is Jesus talking? When he says, you're the light, you're the salt, who's he talking to? Second, what, what are salt and light doing? Like, why, what are these 
metaphors? What are these images? What is Jesus trying to do by using salt and light in the way that he's using it? And then to what is Jesus calling his followers? What, do you, what is Jesus hoping we'll do with this? Um, what, what might he be getting at? And so let's begin with, who is he talking to? Um, because he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, he, the, what's really important here is this pronoun, you, is plural, not singular. So when Jesus says this, he's not going, you, yeah, you, over there, Larry, you're the salt of the world, or the earth. Jill, you're the light of the world. He's not talking to individual people, which for those of us who have grown up in a Western individualized society where everything is about the individual and everything I hear goes through the filter of me, 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 it can be hard to realize that Jesus isn't talking to a person, he is talking to people. And he's saying to them, so I actually had a seminary professor who taught Greek, and as we were learning pronouns in Greek, he said the best thing to do is when you run across a second, the second person pronoun, you, don't translate it as you. You need to translate it as y'all or all y'all. <laughs> and when you say, when you say all y'all, you got to do the home run motion because it just gives it something. All y'all. So Jesus is saying y'all are the salt of the earth. All y'all are the light of the world. He's talking to this mass of humanity that he's been beatituding with, which brings me to the next thing. Jesus uh, isn't starting something new here. So I don't know if you knew this. I'm sure most of you do. That the Bible originally did not come with chapters, verses, and headings. So when Matthew wrote Matthew, sometime in the 80s, late 80s, uh, he didn't uh, write <laughs> chapter 1, heading, the genealogy of Jesus. Right? That's not how it worked. So we added those things in later. And the reason I bring that up is in most Bibles, the, uh, all the Bibles I checked that actually were hard copy and even the stuff I checked online, almost all Bibles have section headings where they'll tell you like Matthew 5, before verse 1, it says the Beatitudes, right? That's a heading in bold and it gives you the Beatitudes. And then at this next section, it says salt and light is a heading and it gives you this next section about salt and light. The issue is it almost creates the impression that Jesus is now pivoting away and talking to somebody else. Like, I blessed all these people over here, and now I'm going to turn over here, and I'm going to look over here, and I'm going to say something to somebody else. And that's actually not what's happening. This is not a shift on Jesus' part. This is a continuation to the very same people that he announced God's witness, God's presence, God's foreness, God's blessing. He now announces to them, you, y'all, all y'all, salt of the earth, light of the world to the poor in spirit, to those who are mourning, to those who are meek, you're the salt of the earth. To those who hunger and thirst for justice, to the merciful, to the pure in heart, to the peacemakers, to the persecuted, all y'all are the light of the world. To those who have been pushed out, forgotten, and ignored, you bring the salt and the light into the world. He's not talking to people who have it all together because those people don't exist. He's not pe talking to people who figured it out. He's not talking to people who ticked off all the right boxes. He's not talking to people who believe all the right things. He's not talking to super Christians because Christians didn't exist. Even when Matthew wrote his gospel, probably in the late 80s, Christianity didn't exist. Christianity actually became a separate faith splitting off from Judaism sometime in the late 80s, early 90s, which means 
you know, 40, 50 years after the life of Jesus, then Christianity becomes a thing. Matthew, Matthew's Jesus is not saying, to all of you super Christians who b believe all the right things and, and wear all the right Christian merchandise and have that fish on your car so people know that a Christian cut them off, like, all of that, all of that has not even entered the story. Jesus isn't talking to people who've got it figured out. He's not talking to people who are perfect. He's not talking to people who have no questions, doubts, or confusions. He's talking to the beatitude people, to the poor in spirit. It's almost like he's saying, the people who pretend to have it all together can't do this work. The people who pretend to have it all together can't really be salt and light. Because in order to really be salt and light, it begins internally. Jesus isn't just talking about, here's some stuff to do. Jesus, I think, is saying, here's an invitation to a way of being that will then overflow into the world as a way of doing. But it begins here. So much of our religious focus has been, and our, whether that's in church or religious education or any of that stuff, so much of our religious focus has been on getting people just to do stuff, right? Because we're not busy enough. <laughs> so we need to do more stuff for God, right? We need, to, we need to do more. And Jesus is not saying here, hey, I want you doing more. I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, I want you to become a certain kind of person, a transformed human being, so that when you show up in the world, you show up in, a, in the world in a way that is salt and light. Not because you're trying to be salt and light, but because you can't help it. Because it's who you are. Super Christians can't do this work. Because the truth is they don't exist. Perfect people can't do this work. Because they will spend so much of their energy keeping up the facade that the, the, the transformation internally never really gets going, and so it can't flow externally into the world around them. I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at. Now, what is this idea of salt and light? What, are, what is the significance of salt and light? There was a, um, a Roman writer who was a contemporary of Jesus. They wouldn't have known each other, but his name is Pliny the Elder, not to be confused with Pliny the Younger, who was also a Roman writer. Uh, he said this, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. Now in Nashville, uh, some people have said there's an alternative, and that is there's nothing more useful than sunshine and whiskey. So, uh, you know, you can choose how you feel about that. I just saw a fist pump. Yeah, I see where you land on the, the, sun, the salt and whiskey. Um, but, it's, but essentially, this idea that salt, which for me, salt was always, my, my earliest memory of salt, I kid you not, my earliest memory of salt was being at my great-grandmother's house and her not being able to have it because of some medical stuff. And you know what she used as a substitute for salt? Mrs. Dash. How many of you have ever had Mrs. Dash before? Those of you who have not, you are blessed. God is with you. God is on your side. Because the rest of us know what that stuff tastes like. And guess what? It is not salt. It is not salt. So what might salt be an image for? And I, and I don't know that this is what Jesus intended. I'm just, as I think about salt, these are the things that pop up. Salt is about flavor. What salt does is it takes something bland and uninteresting and it adds zest and pop and it makes it suddenly more savory, more interesting. It's like, oh wow, this, this didn't have a lot of flavor before, but now this has more flavor than I ever noticed in the beginning. So salt has this way of bringing flavor, bringing, making things interesting that were bland and uninteresting. Salt also it brings this, uh, this work of preservation. I didn't know this. I did not know why people cured meat with salt. I didn't know. Some of you are probably like, why didn't you know that? 
I don't know. The internet exists. It's irresponsible. But I didn't know. And so I searched as I was preparing because I knew that they used it for that. The, the, if you don't know this, you're going to be so glad you came just for this piece of information. Do you know what salt does to meat? It limits and inhibits microbial growth. Now, I don't know that that's if they knew that in the ancient world because, you know, if you had a microbe, they probably thought you had a demon possession. But, like, the idea is that it keeps this stuff from spoiling and from being uh, rotten. That's an interesting image for Jesus to, to draw on, isn't it? That, it? that it keeps things from becoming toxic. Salt keeps things from becoming unengageable. And then I think also salt has this idea of purification. Uh, so there's a story in the book of 2 Kings. It's a story about a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha, um, some people come to the prophet and they say, in a town called Jericho, I believe, and they say, hey, our water supply is bad. It's really bitter and it's hurting people. It's killing people. Can you do something about our water supply? And so Elisha takes a, he calls for a bowl full of salt. He salts the water. I wanted to say he assaults the water, but it salts the water with the salt. And I know you, some people just groaned, right? That's a, bad, that's a dad joke. Um, he, he salts the water, and then the water becomes pure. And the, there's a line in the text that says, even to this day, this idea that, that sprinkling the salt brought a kind of purity, and it made it palatable, and it made it so that it was detoxified. And I'm not talking about purity as in Jesus is saying, well, you're the salt. You've got to go out and make everybody pure. That's not what Jesus is getting at, I don't think. Our job is to not go make other people pure. I, I think I would go back to the line in Acts where God tells Peter in this vision, you don't call anything unclean that God has called clean. It is not our job to make people pure. They are pure. I think what he's getting at is, though, what if we, what if his followers would show up in the world in a way that detoxified situations? What if, what if his followers were to show up in the world in such a way that it brought a sense of flavor and a sense of, wow, this is now really, really interesting. What if we showed up in the world in a way that didn't, didn't promote microbial growth? Because, I mean, the truth is, if we're just honest, the church so often has been the source of microbial growth in the world, not the solution for it. And I think Jesus is getting into this, salt has this multi-layer flavor-bringing, preservation-bringing, and it, it has this way of detoxifying the things it touches. And what if we were about that work? Now, there's this other interesting line where Jesus says, if salt, if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? Which reminds me of, she sells seashells down by the seashore. It's like Jesus' tongue twister. Um, and I actually thought about this text this morning. I went to get gas before... Uh, coming over to church, and when I pulled into the gas station, I looked around, and every, every pump had a yellow bag on it that there was no guy, and I had like two miles to empty or something. It was like, you know, living dangerously. I'm like, what, what is a gas station without gas? And I thought, what is, Jesus, what is salt if it's not salty? Now, this is super fascinating. If you were to go to uh, the literal Greek language the New Testament was written in, you were to read this passage, it does not say, but if salt loses its saltiness. The actual phrase is, if salt becomes foolish, how can it be made salty again? H how many of you have ever thought about salt in terms of how wise or foolish it is? Like, it's not really a category, right? But, but Jesus 
calls it, salt becomes foolish. And then I did a little more research, and I found out that in the New Testament, the way that word fool is used, it's generally used of somebody who is living or actively working against God's dream for the world. A fool is somebody who resists and works against God's dream of shalom, justice, compassion, and mercy in the world. So it's almost like what Jesus may be saying here is if salt loses its saltiness, if the people who are called to embody saltiness, and I realize we need to redefine that word too, right? I'm not like, being called to be salty in the world could really put you in some tough situations, but in this context, people who are uh, called to embody this work and this dream of God for justice and peace and compassion, like people who are called to do that work, and when they show up in the world and they do the opposite, people reject that. People walk away from that. And, and I, I think that's what we see happening writ large in the global church, or at least in the Western church, I should say, right now, is people are leaving church. And I haven't really had a conversation with anybody who's like, I'm leaving church because Jesus is boring. But I, I have heard, I'm leaving church because the Jesus I've been presented isn't very salty. Because I went looking for embrace and got exclusion. I went with honest questions and doubts and I was told that I was welcome and then I wasn't. I went looking for something, something that is on every sign, right? <laughs> like all the bad church signs. We have Cheetos and everybody's welcome. Like all of that. I went looking for that, trusting that that would be there and it just wasn't there. People reject the church because often the church has rejected the mission of Jesus in the world. The mission to be salt, to bring flavor, to make things interesting, to bring a detoxifying presence into the world. People have come looking for that, and they haven't found it. They've actually found the opposite. And Jesus says what happens when, that hap when, when, the, ch when the church, when Jesus' people, again, Jesus is not just talking about Christians here, but when, when people expect one thing and they get another, they have a response to that. And so if salt loses its saltiness, I think what he would say in our context is if, if, if the church is no longer embodying the dream of God, then it should just close the doors because it's not good for anybody. It's actually doing more damage by existing than it could possibly undo by closing its doors. And then I would say that Jesus uses this image of light. And what does light do? Light illuminates, right? That's proof that my parents did not waste a dime on my education. Light illuminates. I know how light works. It makes things brighter. Um, light works, and we can think about light as something that sh illuminates injustice, that calls attention to the problems in our world, that calls attention to the pain and suffering in our world, that says, this isn't right. Somebody should do something about this. Something has to happen because this is causing pain, trauma, and damage in the world, and it doesn't have to be that way. Most of the things we look at that are causing the most harm in the world aren't things that have to be. I don't know if you've thought about that, but all the things that exist that are causing harm and pain to people, almost all of them, whether it's economic or political, they do not, or religious, they do not have to be the way they are. We are making conscious choices to keep them to keep the status quo. And what if being a light, if just the presence of people of light illuminate that there are some things, that there are some cracks, that there are some things that are not right in the world, things that should and must be dealt with. Light 
also eliminates darkness. I think darkness is often associated with fear. Right, that image of darkness. Um, in, in, in the Bible, the image of darkness is always almost associated with sort of this idea of uncertainty and fear and not, not you know, just this thing. And my goodness, what if light were to dispel fear? When too often the church has been the source of fear in the world for people who have been around it. What, what if light were seen as when, when people of light show up, darkness has to go. And even the smallest amount of light, even the smallest flicker of a flame in, in the pitch darkness can bring hope. I couldn't see the hand in front of my face two seconds ago, and now there's just a little glimpse of light, and now I'm beginning to see. Light can provide warmth. Now, when you think about a fire, fire can, can warm or it can burn. So you have to be careful with fire. You have to be careful with how you use it. And so we talk about light illuminating. We talk about like, the light of a fire illuminating. Yes, it does, and it can provide such warmth. It can also provide some pain. So we have to be careful how we use that light. But ideally, what if the presence of Jesus' people in the world actually made things feel warmer and not colder? What if people actually felt internally warmed by being in the presence of Jesus' people? And then ultimately, light's about hope, right? I mean, that's sort of what a lighthouse does, right? It provides hope for a ship at sea. The smallest little pin prick of light can keep you going. And I think if our world needs anything right now, with everything we've been through, um, over, over in, this, in, our, in America specifically, in the last five or so years, and in the last year uh, around the world, if we need anything, we need hope. We need people of light to show up and remind us that hope, hope isn't, um, it, it isn't um, naive. It isn't, it, it, it isn't sort of Pollyanna. Actually, hope is what we need. Hope can be the engine that drives the whole thing forward. And people of light, when we show up in the world, the goal is that we embody that kind of light and bright hope for the world. And then maybe you should ask, what, what is Jesus actually asking his followers to do? Well, I want to say this first. Jesus is not talking, again, to Christians. Christians didn't exist. Now, there are Christians who exist, so of course Jesus is talking to us. But the point, this isn't just about Christians. We need everybody and anybody, all hands on deck, bringing salt and light into the world. Which means, as a Christian, when I see a Muslim bringing salt and light into the world, I celebrate it. When I see a Buddhist bringing salt and light into the world, I celebrate it. When I see an agnostic bringing salt and light into the world, I celebrate it. When I see an atheist or secular humanist bringing salt and light into the world, I celebrate it. Because what we need in the world is more salt more flavor, more detoxification, and more light, more hope, more driving away of fear, more brightness. We need those things in the world. And so there's this great story in the Gospels where Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and his disciples say, hey, 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 there is a guy over there casting out demons, and he's not one of us. He doesn't have our card. He hasn't gone through our membership course. So you may want to rein that in because we got the market cornered on getting rid of demons. And Jesus' response to them is like, he doesn't say it this way, but paraphrase, Do you, are, is it better to have more demons or less? Don't stop him. He's on your team. You just didn't know it. Don't stop him. He's doing good work in the world. Our calling isn't to slap the label Christian on everything. 
partly because many of the things that get the label Christian slapped on them in our world are bad. Like, not, not even morally, just like content-wise. It's just not very good sometimes. And, and so making sure that the Christian labels on everything, making sure that everybody knows, well, these are the people who are doing the salt and light thing. No, no, no. What if our focus was just, we need more salt and light, and we are willing to work with anybody who wants to bring salt and light into the world because we need it so desperately. I, I don't think Jesus is calling us to colonization, and I know we've talked about this recently, but this whole idea that what Jesus was calling his followers to do was go take over the world, especially the way we've done it in the Western world, which has not been very Jesus-like. Jesus is not saying, go find everybody who's not Christian and make them be Christian somehow, right? Read Romans terribly, give them a track, do something. But we got to make everybody Christian. I don't think Jesus is calling us to do that. I don't think Jesus is calling us to the project of colonization. We actually talked about the Great Commission. I think it was the last week before we, so the last week of May. Um, we talked about the Great Commission and how maybe we misunderstood it. Maybe the Great Commission was Jesus saying, don't exclude anybody who wants to be included. Not go force everybody, even people who don't want to be in, go force them to be in. I don't think Jesus is calling us to the project of colonization. That has caused so much harm and damage in the world. I think Jesus is calling us to show up as transformed people who naturally then begin to live in specific ways in the world. I don't think he's saying, go force yourself into this thing. I think he's saying, as you follow this path with me, as you are transformed, as you become a person of deep compassion, a person who uh, enters the journey of forgiveness with others, as you become a person who seeks with everything in you to love your enemy, you're, you're going to be a certain way in the world because that's how transformation works. You, you really can't hide it under a bushel because it just won't do that. It, it just can't be contained. I think what he's saying is be transformed. Enter the journey of transformation and then go into the world and just do what comes naturally. My goodness, have we, been, have we had years of education that says not to trust ourselves, not to trust our experiences, not to trust our gut? And what if what Jesus is saying is, you're a transformed human being, trust your gut. You're on the journey. If you're in a situation, you're like, this situation needs some flavor. Bring the flavor. If you're in a situation that seems toxic and you think, that, actually, I need to point out how toxic this is and maybe we can begin to detoxify it, then bring the salt. If you're in a situation that it seems really, really, really dark, be the light because you can trust yourself to do it because that's the thing about this. Jesus is not saying, you will be the light of the world and the salt of the earth if you follow my five simple steps to becoming salt and light, right? If you get your systematic theology down, you'll be the salt and the light. To the same people he declared, you are blessed. God is with you. God is on your side. Jesus says, you are right now, right now, just as you are. You are the salt and you are the light. So be salty, be bright, shine, because the world needs people who shine. I think that is part of the invitation. And I think the way we measure how our salt light thing is going, I think pro probably the way we measure that is uh, how our work in the world affects those who aren't part of our group. 
Right? We're really good at working on things that improve the life of our group. But I think the way we measure salt and light is, how does this affect the rest of the world? People who aren't in our group, people who will never darken the door of Grace Point Bar and Grill, people who will never... I've been waiting to use that for so long, and it, it really just seemed right. It just seemed right. People who will never listen to our podcast, people who will never join a Reconstruct, people who, will, people who may never know we even exist. Are we improving the world for them? People who will never believe like us or worship like us, are we improving the world for them? People who will never say thank you for anything we do because they don't know we did it. Are we improving the world for them? Because the truth is, Jesus is a terrible marketer. He's like, hey, go do something nice and don't tell somebody you did it. Terrible marketing. <laughs> terrible. How's our salt and light doing? Is, is it making the world better for those who will never even enter our doors? Is it making the world more flavorful? Is it detoxifying the world for people we'll never know? Is it providing hope and light in their darkness for people we will never know? Because those are the people that Jesus says, well, if you're, if you're following me, then you'll find me and everybody else. You, you will find me everywhere you look, every image bearer, every person in walking around with skin and breath, they, they, you will find Christ in them. So as we've been through this series, um, we've been talking about these Beatitudes, and so many of you, as, I, as I've worked on some of these sermons, I've thought of your work in the world. And so many of you, as I've delivered these teachings, I've, I've watched some things resonate with you, and that I hope you felt like you were being blessed, uh, that you were being proclaimed, blood, that you were hearing maybe for the first time in your life that God was with you that God was on your side. And so I want to leave you with just one more run through of these Beatitudes um, because I think we need to hear them because it can be really hard to be these people in the world. And yet so many of you in this room, you are these people in the world. And you keep showing up and your salt and light is healing and transforming and providing hope for people that you will never know or you will never meet. Listen, the fact that Grace Point exists, I talk to people, pastors, other, other Christians, every week I talk to people who find hope in the fact that our community exists. You give that to people. So I just want to remind you that God's with you, that God is on your side. So Grace Point, to the poor in spirit, to those of you who are mourning today, to those of you who are the meek, pushed aside again and again and again, your gentleness, a gift to the world, and yet so often you find yourself being discarded. To those of you who hunger and thirst with justice and you long for a world set right and you just keep getting met at every turn with more injustice and more excuses. To the merciful, those of you who pour compassion out on every person you meet, and with such love and goodness, you tend the wounds of others, never probably even stopping to think about your own wounds. To the pure in heart, those who are seeking to live an integrated life so that who you are on the inside and who you are on the outside, they match. For those of you in the room, you're the peacemakers. You're working for a shalom-soaked world. You're longing to see wholeness and healing happen in the world, and we know how painful and difficult and heavy the work of peacemaking is. To those of you who, if you're in any of those other categories, you probably have found yourself in the category of the persecuted. 
you've been maligned, you've been mocked, you've been lied about, you've been insulted and gossiped about because of your work to be salt and light in the world. Jesus says you, y'all, all y'all, are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So bring the flavor. Shine as bright as you possibly can. The world desperately needs you. And while you're doing the work, do not forget, God is with you. God is on your side. Are you with me? All right. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. God, for those among us who are salt and light, those who, the way they show up in the world brings flavor. The way they show up in the world is detoxifying. The way they embody light in darkness, the way they seek to dispel fear. they embody hope for us. We are grateful. May we be a community of people who seek to live out of transformed lives and become as salty as we can be. May we shine as bright as we can shine. And may the world be better because we exist. May the lives of those who will never know us never know about us, the lives of those who aren't a part of our group, our religion, our tradition. May their lives be enhanced and improved and enriched. May, may they know in whatever way they would receive it that the divine energy <laughs> animating all things is with them. It's on their side. And for that, we are grateful. And everybody said, 